So I remember uh, when I used to practice uh, quite a bit of uh, criminal law, criminal defense. I wasn't a prosecutor. I would do criminal defense work um, as a lawyer, and I would, uh, I would be in court a lot back in those days, and I had a lot of clients. I have, I have had a lot of criminal defense clients, mostly because there's a lot of crime out there, right? Um, and so I've, I've had a lot. Some of my clients, you know, we had, I had different, like, you could put them in a different category. Some of them were, like, truly sorry. They had done something. They had been caught. They were really sorry for what they had done. They wanted to kind of sort of pay their debt, as, as small of a debt as possible, like anybody would, but to pay their debt and, and move on and sort of be right, be back in society, right, having done what they were, what they were supposed to do. Uh, and so they, they would do that. Some of them were just going over the motions because... This was the one I'd represent them on today, and then two months later, I'd be representing them on another one, and they just, it was kind of their life, right? They're kind of in and out of it. Uh, they weren't sorry necessarily, but they weren't claiming that they were innocent. They weren't, it was just kind of like, let's, let's get this thing done and move on. Um, some were more deceptive, though. Some would claim innocence, and some of them were really effective liars, like they're really good at it. Like you're like, oh man, that does sound like a tough story. You learn a lot. I'll, I'll just tell you that when you're, when you're practicing law, you learn that people can be extremely deceptive because you know, when people say things to you, you want to believe them, right? When somebody talks to you, you're like, yeah, I want to assume that what you're saying is true. Uh, that's not always the case with uh, clients and not just criminal clients, by the way, um, or alleged criminal clients, as I would say. Uh, but I had a client one time accused of a felony and uh, this person claimed innocence the whole time. The whole time, it was like, I'm innocent. I didn't do it. This is crazy. They're after me. You know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's not fair. Uh, and it was like, okay. And the district attorney offered a flea bargain. And the client, this client said, no, no way. You know, I'm innocent. I'm not doing it. Uh, and we were headed to a jury trial. We were going to go to the box, as they used to say. Go to the jury box and have 12 people set this client free because this client was innocent. And so we, we kind of move on a little further in the case towards moving towards trial. And as we got closer to trial, the district attorney makes another offer, and it's a better offer. It, it's, it's better than the first plea bargain that, that was offered. And all of a sudden, my client says, yes, I'll take that. And I said, I, I don't, you know, I asked my client about it. I'm like, I don't understand this. You said you're innocent. Why would you take, why would you plead guilty to anything if you were innocent? And my client let me know that she was just waiting for the deal to be good. Um, good enough to take. Otherwise, we would have gone to trial, and she said, and I would have lied to that jury, no problem. I would have sat there and just lied about it. Though. Just like I was lying to you, I'd lie to that jury. Don't care one bit. I remember just being bummed out, like bummed out, that A, I could have ended up having a trial and having a client of mine lie to a jury, which is a pretty serious thing for me. Like I don't, I'm not big on lying to juries or judges, um, or anyone for that matter, but particularly not juries or judges because that's a crime. And so I'm not, I'm not big on that. And it was like this client knew the truth of what had happened, admitted to being guilty, but my client was willing to lie to avoid the truth, suppress the truth in order to avoid the consequences. Okay, you know, my client wanted freedom, freedom from jail, and was willing to get that freedom by lying. Ultimately, ultimately, to my client, freedom was all about getting what my client wanted. Whatever she wanted, she wanted to get. But for me, that's not what freedom is like at all. When I think about freedom, I don't think about getting whatever I want. 
Because see, if I lied to the jury, the jury might believe me, they might set me free from jail, but I would not be free at all. I would not feel free. I would feel extremely anxious. Uh, the guilt on my conscience of committing perjury, of lying, it would give me intense feelings of shame and anxiety. I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I was out committing perjury. I'd rather tell the truth and take the punishment than lie and live with the guilt and shame of sinning in that way. To me, that's not freedom. Freedom for this person, for this client, isn't freedom at all for me. We have been in this series called Controversy. The tough passages of the Bible. There it is right there. You can read it for yourself. We love the Bible here. I just want you to know that if you're new, we love the Bible, the Word of God. Uh, at Acts Church, we want to understand it. We want to be able to teach it, to explain it, to defend it against those who misuse it, against those who are enemies of the Scripture. We want to be able to defend it. We want, we want to know it. We love it. We're into the Bible here. Uh, and so far, we've worked through a couple passages in this series. One was Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. And the other one was Leviticus 18, 22, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. Both of those are actually pretty uh, controversial. You may not know. If you want to go back and watch those ones, uh, you can. Uh, but we're going to do another one this week. We're going to study another popular verse uh, that's misunderstood, misused. And it's actually used a lot. Most people have heard this verse. It's John 8, 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. This verse, or part of it, is used as a motto by some like universities, by the CIA, right? Which, of course, <laughs> makes perfect sense, right? Yeah, that's what you think of when you think of the CIA, truth and freedom and you know, that kind of thing. No offense if you work for the CIA in here, which wouldn't shock me based on the things I preach. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but it's pretty widely known in culture, right? Like people know that. I don't know how many people actually know it comes from the Bible. Um, I don't know how many people actually know it's the words of Jesus. Even less do I think that most people understand what it means at all, what this is about at all. The meaning of this is actually profound and transformational, but I actually don't know how many people understand that meaning. Unfortunately, we live in a fallen world, and in this world, people often do not like truth or freedom being the freedom that is brought by Christ. People actually don't like either one of those things necessarily. There is a lot of falsehood out there. And here's why it's there, in case you're wondering. Lying to others often gets people what they want. That's why they do it. Lying to ourselves often lets us do what we want. And so there's a lot of lying, a whole lot of lying. It's a quote from Soren Kierkegaard that reads this way. There are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true. The other is to refuse to believe what is true. Both of these problems abound in our culture. People believe lies and also refuse to believe the truth because it does not suit them. It doesn't suit them, right? People reject the truth because it doesn't bring them what they want, the comfort that they want. They want to live a certain way. They want to have certain things and so on. If the truth pushes up against that, they reject it in favor of their comfort. C.S. Lewis uh, put it this way. If you look for truth, you may find comfort in the end. If you look for comfort, you will not get either comfort or truth, only soft soap and wishful thinking to begin, and in the end, despair. 
If you go out looking for comfort, you're going to shape truth. The only truth that you'll believe is the truth that's consistent with whatever it is you want to do to, give your, to have your own comfort. In the end, despair. But if you actually seek truth and align yourself to truth, you may end up finding comfort. But you won't find it the other way. There are quotes from two women, both prominent in the 20th century, one in the 21st century also, that show the difference between a good relationship with truth and sort of a rejection of objective truth altogether. First one was a Catholic Christian writer named Flannery O'Connor. She said this, the truth does not change according to our ability to stomach it. Right? The other woman is Oprah Winfrey. Oh, okay. <laughs> you get a car. No, I don't know. That's it. She says, what I know for sure is that you feel real joy in direct proportion to how connected you are to living your truth. The difference between these two statements is the difference between night and day. It really is. O'Connor makes it clear that we may not prefer the truth. It may make us uncomfortable, but the truth doesn't change for us just because we're uncomfortable. It doesn't change according to our ability to stomach it. Winfrey basically says the opposite. She says you have real joy. This is, this is where things get satanic, okay? You have real joy by living your truth. It's a whole lot like what the snake told Eve in the garden. I'm not saying she understands what she's saying. I'm just saying this is an old, old trick. Oh, you want real joy? Do what you want to do. Do your truth. Your truth can only be the truth by coincidence, okay? Your truth is not the truth. The whole point of your truth is that you decide. You get to, quote unquote, be like God, which is what the snake told Eve. Make your own truth. Did God really say that? No, you're going to be, you're going to be able to decide. You're going to be able to know the difference between good and evil. You're going to be like God. This is the whole your truth thing. You get to decide for yourself what is true for you. And you are the only judge for whether anything is true. That's the world we're living in and have been for a long time, frankly, forever since humans have been around in, in certain ways. A world where truth is no longer about reality exists and therefore people think they can create their own realities. Right? We have this, there's a lot of areas where we have this. Obviously the one that people talk about the most these days is the transgender issue, right? Where people are saying, I want to be this. I, this is my reality. This is my truth and therefore you need to also accept my truth. That's where things get funky is when I have a truth and I say, you have to accept my truth, right? We've always generally said, no, I don't have to accept a truth just because you think it's true. But now that's, that's not cool. Now we're actually getting to the point, think about how crazy it gets. It gets to the point where you're told that if you don't accept and affirm the truth of somebody else, you are responsible for their depression or suicide. Think about how evil that is to put on people. If you say what's true, you're responsible for harming somebody else. That's, that's pretty messed up. That's pretty messed up. Now, if you speak the truth, but you don't speak it in love, you, you can be responsible for hurting people. The truth is good, but when used good, when used well. So I'm not by any means saying, go out and start speaking truth to everybody, because they probably have a few things to say to you too. What I'm suggesting is that we cannot create our own realities. There is no such thing as our truth, your truth, my truth. They can no more create truth 
and reality that anyone can create a tree. We're not God. We're not the creator. We don't do that. That's not our thing. That's not within our jurisdiction. Your truth cannot set you free. Not from anything other than the ability to know reality. Eventually it can set you free from reality, but nothing else. And truth can be known. Jesus is clear about that, which is really important because a lot of people are going around today saying, you can't really know. The reason I can believe what I want, you can believe what you want, this is sort of postmodernism in a nutshell, is because we can't really know anything. There are no big stories that explain what's going on. You just need to develop your own philosophy. I develop mine, and neither of us can know whether the other one's right. Well, Jesus is pretty clear here. It's implied in what he says here in many other places that you can know truth. But a question that I think we all should be asking ourselves as we work through this today is, if you knew the truth, would you live by it? Because we can talk about truth and we love truth and whatever, but every one of us has truth push up against us, right? Every one of us wants to do certain things or live certain ways or say certain, certain things or think certain things or do certain things that the truth says, no, no, that is not what's good for you. That's not what's gonna help you flourish. And we go, eh, but I really want to. This is the sin problem. This is the fallen world problem. Romans 1, 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who what? who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Not, can't find it. Oh, I'm seeking, I just can't find it. No, 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 it's there. They're suppressing it in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, this is an interesting statement, they knew God. There's not a person alive who is not born innately with some knowledge of God. He's made it manifest and they can see it. Nobody sees a tree or a person or a puppy and thinks, chance. That, that's the thing that we've admitted. That all happened by chance. It was all just a happy accident. Well, that's a pretty good accident. I've had a lot of accidents in my time, okay? Never has one ended up creating a tree. Just hasn't happened, okay? That's not how it works. That's not how it works. People knew, and although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. Useless, futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You see that at all these days? People, go, go watch the cable. Well, don't. It's a waste of your time. But if you're watching cable news or you're, or you're what, on Twitter or whatever, everybody's professing to be extremely wise. They all know. They know. You need to know how to live. I can give you 100,000 Twitter profiles that you can go. They'll tell you just how you should live. Or Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you know, cable news, whatever. They all know. But professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They traded it in. Here's the truth of God. Let me give you that. And let me take on the lie. Why? So I can worship the corruptible because I worship the corruptible. I don't have to be holy. God is incorruptible. If I worship him, I've got to move towards holiness. 
I got to recognize my need for him. If I go to the corruptible, I don't need anything. Because now the corruptible is my, is, is what I've said is what's good for me. They dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchange the truth of God for the lie and worship and serve the creature themselves rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. People are holding down the truth. That's the idea here, suppressing. They're holding it down. They're suppressing it. They knew God, but they did not glorify him. They were not thankful. They did not worship him. What should be the response of a person to understand that God has created you, that he loves you, that he died for you, that he rose again, that you can be with him, that he's created all the beauty that you see? What is the normal response of that? Thankfulness. Worship. That's not what they did. They said, I'll take all the stuff, but I'll worship myself. That's what we're doing as a culture. We worship ourselves, our desires, our comforts, our stupid ideas. Sorry to offend you, if that offends you. But a lot of our ideas in this culture are stupid, foolish ideas. There are three questions that I want us to ask ourselves regarding the verse and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The questions are this. Who is you? Who is Jesus talking about when he says, you shall know the truth? So according to Christ, who is you? The second one. What truth will we know according to Christ in this verse? And then the next one. What is freedom according to Christ in this verse? So let's do, we're going to try something new here that I have not done before. We're going to, are we here? Are we doing it? Let me check. Not back there? Hang on. Well, I should probably click that. Boop, boop, boop. Technology. Oh, check this out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. All right. I wanted to be able to just kind of work with Scripture when we're going through it. You know, I, I can, I'm thinking about it in my head. It's here in my notes, but I, I wanted to work with it so we could all see it. So here's the deal. We're going to walk through this. Uh, this thing, and we're going to answer these questions. So the first question is, who is you in this verse? Who is he talking about? Who is he talking about? It says, then Jesus said to them. So this is, this is before this verse. We've got what's going on here. He said to them, right? Uh, you, them, these, this right here, he's, he's in the temple. He's in the treasury of the temple, and he's teaching. So you have this crowd of people. This crowd of people includes you know, Jews who have come to the temple to worship God. It also includes some Pharisees. So what's been happening so far is the Pharisees have been, as they often do, the little rascals, they're arguing with Jesus. They're pushing back. They're, and, and the other people kind of are listening to what's going on. They're watching what's happening. That's the crowd, right? Jewish people and the Pharisees who have been arguing with Jesus. That's who they are. And so that's, that's the context where we are. And, and the reason I'm telling you that is important because we're going to see something here that there's actually some confusion about in, uh, among commentaries on the scripture. It says this, And he who sent me is with me. And who's he? The Father has not left me, Jesus, alone, for I always do those things that please him. Now, here's, here's what's important. Jesus is making two very big claims here that you could miss because you're not a first century Jew in the temple. But he's making two very big claims here. First, he's claiming to be God. He's saying that he was sent of the Father. 
He is sent of the Father. That is, people don't go around talking like that. Okay? He's saying, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ, I'm God. That's what he's saying here. And then he says another thing. He says, I always do those things that please him. So not only is he claiming to be God, but he's also claiming to have no sin. You see, the thing is, is if you always do what God wants, you don't ever sin. It's implied. So he's making two world-changing statements. World-changing statements. If somebody came in this church, stood up here and said these things, we'd be like, get out of here. Get the medication going. You've got an issue. You are not God and you are not sinless. Because we know there's one God. We know who he is. They knew there was one God, but they were waiting for the Christ. They were waiting for the Christ. So Jesus says this. This is a, he's throwing a bomb in the middle of them. A bomb. He who sent me is with me. God is with me. The Father and I, we're one. God is with me. And I always do that which pleases him. That him being the Father, right? He pleases the Father always, never sins. You would think that the person who said this thing was a liar or a lunatic if you saw that person. Your spouse comes in and says these things. Your brother or sister comes in, your friend, somebody at work. You'd be like, okay, let's get you to bed. You're, you're not feeling good. But that's not how people reacted. This is how people reacted. As he spoke these words, many people believed in him. Now, you got to under, we just read through the scriptures, just like one verse after another verse, you're just reading through it, right? This is profound. He's speaking to a crowd. He basically says, I'm God and I've never sinned. And when he says that, out of this crowd of people, some of whom were Pharisees, as I said, some of whom were people who would come to the temple, many of them believed in him. They were changed. They were transformed. They went from skeptical. They went from looking for the one who would come to believing it was him. So when he said it, he didn't seem like a crazy person. Nobody thought that. None of these people thought that. Now the Pharisees, they're going to push back and try to say all kinds of terrible things about him. But the people, many of the people believed in him. They believed right there and then. So now we're going to get into who he's talking to. Okay? It says, then Jesus said to who? To those Jews who believed in him. To those Jews who believed in him. He was not talking to everybody. So this is the first thing. When the CIA uses it and these schools put it, they put it on the library, uh, you know, above, above the thing or whatever people use it. You shall know the truth and the truth. As if it's like this common phrase, a cliche that everybody like, it's, hey, it's true. Seek truth and you'll know truth and it will set you free. No, no, that's not what he says. He is speaking directly to those Jews who believed in him and no one else. And no one else, that's who he's talking to. He wasn't talking to the Pharisees who didn't believe in him, who were children of their father, the devil, who were trying to destroy his, his ministry. He was talking to the people who, in that last verse, it said, many believed on him when he, when he said who he was. That's who we're talking to in this section. It says this. This is very important. If. If. You, you again, being these people here, right? That's you. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. If, if this, then that. 
If, then you're one of these yous over here. Not you are, not just believing in him. He's talking about the difference between belief and being a disciple. So we got two things that have happened. First, he's talking to the Jews that believed in him. So they believed in him. That's who he's talking to in this next section. And he says, for you that believe in me, if you will abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. It's an if-then statement. Okay? We don't know if there were any Pharisees in this group that believed in him. We do know that there were some Pharisees who did believe. But we don't know if there were any in this group. There were a number, though, of Jewish men and women, assumedly. I believe the treasury in the temple is in what they call the court of the women. And so there are probably, I'm guessing, quite a few women there, too. So women, men. It wasn't just women. Um, but I think women and men, many whom, whom believed. And he's saying, hey, you believe, now this. Abide, abide in my word. That's what he says. So what does that mean? Well, if you're going to abide, what are you going to do? You're going to continue in it, right? You're going to continue in it. You're going to keep going in it. You're going to live in it. You live in his word. This is the difference, by the way, between people who get saved and baptized, but then go on and are unfruitful, and people who get saved and baptized and then abide in his word. There is, those people are different. Those people are having different experiences of life. One lets themselves be pulled back in to slavery to sin and to not understanding things. It's got nothing to do with their salvation. It's got to do with their fruitfulness. It's got to do with rewards before the Bama Sea with Christ. And another, they abide in this word. Well, this is who he's talking about here. He's saying, you believe? Okay. If you abide in my word, then you are my disciples. Then you're my disciples. What do we say? Great commission. Go therefore and make disciples. This is Jesus talking. The end of Matthew, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Who are the disciples? How do you make them? They come to Jesus, they get baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then they're taught to obey all that he's commanded. In other words, they abide in his word. That's what disciples are. You may be saved. You may be a believer, and yet right now you're not a disciple. There is a difference between a Christian and a Christ follower, or there can be. There can be. And here he's saying this is what it looks like to be a disciple, a follower of Christ. Then we get an and in here. And. This is important. Because it's connecting the last thing. Right? Abide in my word. And you'll be my disciples. And. Right? And if you do that, you shall. You again. Who? You. Believe. And abide. That's you here. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall make you free. So it's really important that we nail down who you is because people say this all the time. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And my answer to many of them is not you. He wasn't talking to you. You're not a follower of Jesus. You're not abiding to this word. You don't even believe many people, right? Many people I'd say, it's not about you. It's not some secular thing open to everybody. 
that he's saying, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. No, those who will know the truth and the truth will set them free are believers who are disciples, Christ followers. That's who he's talking to. That's who you is. Not everybody in culture at large, obviously, right? It's those who believe and abide in his word. Those are the ones who will know the truth. This is really important. I need you to listen. If you do not believe in Jesus, if you are not following Jesus as his disciple, if you do not abide in his word, this verse is not about you. It does not apply to you. You can quote it all day long, but it is not about you. But it is for you. It is for you, though. It is for you to understand and follow the call that Jesus has for you to believe in him, to confess him as Lord, to believe that God raised him from the dead. It is for you to become his disciple and to abide in his word and to know joy that does not come from your truth, as Miss Winfrey says, Miss, Miss Winfrey, yeah, but from the truth, from God's truth. It is for you to receive forgiveness of your sins, to be right with God and to know true peace that passes all understanding and guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Those are all for you. It's for you to take away your fear and to have the Holy Spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. All of this is for you. If you will believe and confess the Lord Jesus and abide in his word. If not, this verse is not about you. And the truth is, you know nothing about it. So you shouldn't quote it because it doesn't apply to you. This is reality. This is reality. The reality is, is that there are things that you cannot understand without having the Holy Spirit, who the disciples of Jesus have. That's just a reality. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 16. Yeah, that worked pretty good. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age, which I don't know that there is a lot of wisdom of this age, but there's people who think they're wise. Professing to be wise, they became fools, right? Nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. The rulers of this age are coming to nothing, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us. Who's us? Disciples. His disciples through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. This is really powerful. You're going to know these things because you have the Holy Spirit. And if you don't have the spirit, you're not going to know them. These things we also speak, not in words in which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things to spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of Christ Right? Who is not the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Sorry, I read that wrong. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Here's the deal. 
If you're a Christ follower, a Christ follower, as I define, you are living in, having the mind of Christ. Things will be revealed to you. You will understand the truth in ways that people who do not know Jesus cannot understand, do not understand. Not because you're so cool and they're not. It's because he's so good and has saved you. That's it. It's not because because you're so smart and they're so dumb. It is as simple as this. You have the Holy Spirit and they don't. They don't know the truth. The truth doesn't set them free because they don't have the Holy Spirit. The truth does set you free because you do have the Holy Spirit and you abide in his word. That's it. That's it. Natural man doesn't receive the things of God. Things of the spirit are foolishness to the man or woman or child who has not been born of the spirit of God. We use that word born again. Some use it as a joke or a way of like making fun of Christians. There's nothing funny about it. Nothing funny about it. We have been transformed in Jesus Christ. We have been born of the spirit of God. That's a real thing that really happened to you when you got saved. You were born again of the Spirit of God because you were spiritually dead. It's a real thing. When I say I'm born again, I'm giving God glory for the fact that I am not still in spiritual death and darkness. It's not a joke. We who follow Christ have been born of the Spirit, and we can understand things that those who do not follow Christ do not understand, cannot understand. We have the Holy Spirit. Listen, I can do nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. Can't do this. Can't be a husband, can't be a father, can't be a lawyer, can't be a, maybe a lawyer. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I can't do anything without the Spirit of God. If I speak anything and it comes across as wisdom, it is the wisdom of God, not of me. The Spirit, I need the Spirit for all of that. The Holy Spirit. You do not know the truth unless, as Jesus Christ tells us, you abide in his word and therefore are his disciples indeed. You are lost without him. These born again, lost, these aren't just evangelical Christianese words. The people who don't know Jesus truly are lost. They're lost. Spiritually, it's bad. It's bad. That's why we are here evangelizing, trying to bring the truth so that they, like us, can experience the grace that we did not earn that Jesus Christ has for us. People in the world, they can't know the things that they were actually created to care about and understand because they have rejected and denied the power of God in their lives. Second question we had is, what truth will we know according to Christ? Well, we know a couple of things. Later in the book of John, Jesus tells us this, John 16, 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. You ain't ready for this. You can't handle the truth. That's what he's kind of saying right there. You can't handle it all. However, when he, the spirit of truth, this is the Holy Spirit, has come, which he did at Pentecost, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit, who is given to every follower of Christ, will guide us into all truth truth. Everything you need to know, everything you need to know, you will know through the power of the Holy Spirit teaching and revealing to you all truth if you are a Christ follower. We are also being told 
about the truth and that the truth will set us free. So what truth is it that will set us free? Well, we need to answer that question to know fully the question, what is truth? We need to know what freedom is according to Christ. Because people can say, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Free to what? Free from what? I don't know what the CIA means. The truth will set you free. Okay? What do they mean? I don't know. It just sounds good, I think, for them. So what do we mean? Well, let's keep working through it. Let's get back to the, uh, yeah, this thing. They answered him. Now, this is important, okay? They, in this situation, is, is important to know because it just said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you, set you free. And then it says, they answered him. So it seemed like the same people who he was saying, you shall know the truth to are they because that's how language often works. And many people, actually many commenters have said that. But of course, it can't be, it makes no logical sense for that to be the case here because these people who are talking, they, these are the Pharisees starting back their argument with him. That's who they is here. These are people who have been arguing him throughout John chapter eight and are coming back to argue with him again. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Well, as I said, he didn't say it to them. They aren't you. They didn't believe in him. They weren't abiding in his word. So he wasn't saying that. But it's also just crazy here. These are Jewish leaders who literally have the gall to say, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Okay, I'm just going to, I don't know, Egypt, uh, Babylon, I don't know, the people who are right now in the temple with spears, Rome. I mean, how ridiculous is this saying? It's ridiculous, right? But that's what they come back with. But Jesus, instead of dealing with sort of the nonsense of what they're saying, actually just explains it. Jesus, oops, I just turned this off. Boop, 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 boop. I'm old. All right. John 8, 34. Jesus answered them. Most, are we good? Are we back on? Did we lose it? Hang on. Boop, 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 boop. Mm-hmm. Three, two, one. Yeah, all right, did it. I'll get this down eventually. Hire like a 20-year-old pastor. They'll know how to do this really easily. Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Okay, they're talking about bondage. We've never been in bondage to anybody, but he comes back at them and tells them exactly who they're in bondage to. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Who's a slave of sin? Whoever commits sin. Who is that? Everybody. I have terrible handwriting. That's terrible. All right, but that's, you can, you know, everybody. Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. Slave of sin. And a slave does not abide to the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Free from what? Free from slavery to sin. Everyone's looking for the Messiah to come back and set people, set the Jews free from Rome, establish kingdom, do the whole thing. And he's like, you are not listening to me. Before you get real high on your earthly kingdoms, you might want to get your heart right because you all are slaves to sin. 
And I'm telling you that if you believe in me and you abide in my word, then you're my disciple. And you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Free from sin. Free from slavery to sin. Well, they don't get it. Of course not. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, says Jesus, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. They're not abiding in his word. His word has no place in them. These are the people who can't understand. Seeing they do not see, hearing they do not hear. That's why he says things like, he who has ears to hear, right? These are not them. They're not them. Okay, you can go back to the main thing here. These people do not have ears to hear or eyes to see. These are the people who do not understand. They're not going to be free because they don't see themselves as slaves to sin. Freedom is not about doing whatever you want. It's not what freedom is about. I think a lot of people think that's what freedom is about. I want to be made free. Well, what's free? Well, to do whatever I want. I want freedom to sin. I want freedom from consequences, from judgment. Most people want to talk about freedom. It's, they mean to do whatever I want to do without anybody telling me what to do. That's what they mean by freedom. But that's not godly freedom. Godly freedom is the freedom to exist within the framework that the creator has made you in his image and likeness. He's, he's giving you, this is the free road. If you do these things, you're going to flourish. You're going to be you, fully you, all that he's created you to be. If you go this way, you're going to be a slave to sin. So you can be a son or a daughter or a slave to sin. There are two ways. There's no tertium quid. There's no third way. There's no, I don't want to be a slave to sin, but I don't want to do what you say, so I'm going to have my own way. Nope, all those ways are this way. All those ways are slave to sin ways. The only way that is free is Jesus' way. So what are we talking about here when he says, you should know the truth. The truth is the gospel. It's the gospel. That you could be free from sin and death and hell. That's the truth. That's the truth. They don't abide in his word, these Pharisees, so many people in our culture. Jesus tells us straight up, John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know the truth, you know Jesus. You know Jesus, you know his death and his resurrection. It's Palm Sunday. This is the day he came in to Jerusalem. One week later, he would be rising from the dead. We'll be here next week for Resurrection Sunday. I hope you don't miss that. Jesus is the truth. They reject him. They want to kill him. He calls them out for what they are. You can go through the rest of the chapter, chapter 8, and see how that goes. Very powerful chapter. But it's about being free from sin. I don't think that's what the CIA is talking about. I don't think the University of Oregon, who has this over their library, is talking about that. Caltech, it's a motto of Caltech. I don't think they're talking about freedom from sin. I think they think that if I do enough science-y stuff, I'll be free. Free from what? I don't know. We've got phones that don't have to be plugged into a wall like when we were kids. Remember the really long cord? So you could go like all the way to your room. Good times. Now we have just no, no cord. You're free. 
I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. I'm quite certain he's not. But you better define freedom so that you can understand what truth you are looking for. The truth that you need is the gospel, the good news. No longer a slave to death because who the Son sets free is free indeed. God created you. He knows what makes you flourish and grow and be fruitful. He designed you and he created the heavens and the earth. He created all of it. He knows what freedom is going to be like for you. Where you can be free, freely in relationship with him. Exciting, adventurous life. Joy. But you can't just decide how that goes. If, if an engineer designs a car, the car can't just say, I don't want to use gasoline. I want to use water. It ain't going anywhere. But if it uses gasoline, it can be free. Off it goes, driving down the road, happy as can be. But if it decides to use something else, it doesn't work. We've got to live within the plan that God has for us if we want to experience the freedom that he designed us to have. In one case, you're a son or a daughter. In the other case, a slave. But you shall know the truth, you disciples of Jesus Christ, who believe in him, who abide in his word, and the truth shall set you free. You're not free to disregard him and his word and his will and still enjoy life. You're not. It won't happen. Your sinful freedom will become your destruction. But you can have freedom and live in freedom and joy. If you stop resisting the truth, stop pressing it down, Start abiding in his word and live for Jesus. Believe in him. Make him Lord and believe God raised him from the dead. As the scriptures say, be saved from this perverse generation. For those of you in Christ, be his disciples indeed by abiding in his word. Please. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Pierce even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Abide in the word of God. Know the truth and be free. Free from slavery to sin. Freedom to live. How much better do you feel when you know you've been forgiven and it's not weighing you down? That's freedom. Freedom is not being able to do whatever you want and then try to get rid of those feelings with drugs, alcohol, sex, money, or whatever the world tells you. Because you can't sex and drugs and money those things away. They eventually just destroy you. But you can have complete freedom. Because if we can confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, you can be free. You can be clean. Abide in the word of God. Know the truth and be free. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Indeed.